Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. I'm Chief Meteorologist McCall Wright Ags here with my co-host, meteorologist Kirstie Zantini. And you can see we have a special guest here in the view. And uh, we also have a fourth guest that you can probably hear. Kirstie, why don't you explain what that noise is? Yeah, if you hear a little bit in the background of this podcast, it is my youngest daughter, Molly. She is uh, uh, home with us, uh, still not in daycare yet. So you know, every now and then they, they get to be a part of our work day. And for today, it is uh, bring your daughter to work. Oh, yeah. With Cloudy with a Chance podcast. There has um, been a yeah. f- few episodes, you know, go back like five or six and you'd see me stepping away, taking care of Gia, <laughs> you know, the chaos of everybody doing Zoom. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Um, so let's talk about the weather. The weather is gorgeous right now. I mean, you're sitting outside on your uh, patio there, Kirsty, and um it's nice. We're actually normal, you know, for this time of year right now, we don't have too much humidity. Temperatures are close to where they should be for the middle of July, but we've seen a lot of extremes lately, not only this year, but years past that really parlays in today's conversation, right? Exactly. It does. And I think it's interesting McCall because we use the word normal or average in reference almost every single day when we're broadcasting. And today, our guest from the National Weather Service office in Wilmington is Nate McGinnis. He has been uh, with the National Weather Service office office in Wilmington, Ohio, for about two years. Um, But he's going to dive into what these norms are that we talk about, these climatological normals. And uh, I think that it, it works really well because McCall this summer, as you mentioned, we've been hotter than normal. We've had a few stretches of wetter than normal weather. We've had dew points that were above normal. So now we're going to kind of put some reference into what normal means and how the Weather Service Office and across the country, NOAA, just released their new 30-year averages. So welcome, Nate. Thanks so much for taking time out of your shift uh, to be with us. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. So Nate, why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Obviously, two years at the Weather Service Office in Wilmington, but where did you go to school? And I guess, where else have you been? Because I know your journey is usually uh, in NOAA. You know, it's, it's not always a one-stop shop. Well, that, I mean, that's a great, it's a great thing. And, and I think it's good to, to be able to move around. So the fact that I started my career in, in actually Jacksonville, Florida, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Ohio my entire life. I initially went to school uh, in, in Springfield, Missouri, and then transferred to the Ohio University uh, in Athens, Ohio, and, and completed Woo! my bachelor's there, and and uh, took a year off. I tried to get into the National Weather Service, and there weren't a whole lot of jobs back then. So, uh, you know, kind of did some thinking, and eventually decided that going back to my master's degree would be very beneficial, both on just the education part, but also the experience part. You know, just it's a completely different role to be there in a graduate setting, and you're teaching undergrads, and you're seeing, wow, what a goofball, you know, I was back then. And, and these, all these new young kids are, it's, it's a, it was a great experience. And, uh, you know, cle- completing that in 2016, in the summer there, 2016, I then applied. There were a lot more National Weather Service jobs uh, available and I applied everywhere. You know, that's, that's what we're told to do. It's, it's go to Alaska, go to, yeah. you know, go wherever <laughs> you have to go. So, um, I actually had two interviews and they couldn't be further apart. Uh, they, I guess they could be a little bit further apart, but one was Eureka, California. Uh, oh, you're wow. talking Northern, Northern California. And then the other one was Jacksonville, Florida. So <laughs> I did both of those. 
was able to get the, the Jacksonville, Florida position. And for a starting point, for someone who grew up in Ohio and who knows Ohio River Valley weather, Jacksonville, Florida is not Ohio. You know, it's, it's, especially Jacksonville, it's like it's like a mix of Southern Georgia and Northern Florida. You get, you know, you get your daily thunderstorms during the the warm season, and mm-hmm. you get your interesting weather during you know fire weather and marine weather during the winter. And then you guys know tropics is just a whole. Mm-hmm, I mean, yeah. it's just a whole, it's a whole nightmare down there. Um, yeah. You know, so even though I was only there for just over two years. I got to experience literally everything from winter weather to a major, you know, you know, impactful uh, hurricane in Hurricane Irma. So um, I actually left Jacksonville, Florida to come up to Wilmington. One of my last weeks that I worked there was actually when Hurricane Dorian was slamming the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. This really powerful 185 mile prop. I mean, it was just a it was just a tremendously large storm. But with that week, I actually didn't work in the office. I worked at the Jacksonville EOC where I got to brief core partners and, and talk to them about the weather. It was, it was a great experience to be in that environment because it's kind of like getting a view into what you guys do, but by actually being there, you you get to experience a little bit more of that weather sector that you really see why what we do matters. And, you know, because of of their decision-making that they have to have. So that experience was great. And then, immediately drove up here and started working here at Wilmington, Ohio. And, you know, it, it was kind of after Memorial Day. So mm. I guess it was like, I, I kind of missed out of the, the the experience with that. Although my family was directly impacted by one of the tornadoes. So like, it was, yeah, so my, my parents in Southeast Pickaway County, they were one, one of the ones that got hit by the EF1 tornado. And yeah, so it was like, the experience of being down there and all of that, this happened, you know, all of Memorial Day happening up, up here. I mean, I've been in for almost five years and it's just been an incredible experience during those five years. So it looks like that decision to go back to graduate school ended up really paying off just with the experiences that I've been able to have. Nate, we are really lucky to have you in the uh, Wilmington office, I will just say, because uh, there is that partnership, as you just mentioned a few Mm -hmm. moments ago, and being able to work with the weather service meteorologists on a daily, especially when you get into active weather. I mean, it's such a great bond that we have, and we can't do what we do without you guys. And you said, you know, you can't get that message out without us. So it is such a great partnership. Um, I know we're going to talk about climate, but you hit a couple of things that I'm just interested about as a meteorologist. And if you are a weather nerd and you're listening, um, you might be wondering, we're going to go through two events here. One, people always ask this to me as far as what is it like um, if like a tornado is happening in your area, like what is the experience that you're having during that event? So I want to hear about Irma. Um, and maybe a little bit of Dorian, what is the feeling of everybody that um, you're working with is going through? And then once we talk about that, I just want to hear a little bit more about your family and how they were impacted by the tornadoes. Yeah, great, great questions. And uh, I am sure I could talk really long. I'll try and be brief. <laughs> um, for, for Hurricane Irma, one of the biggest things for Irma was, if you remember, Hurricane Matthew while it didn't make direct landfall in Florida, it came so close to Florida that it actually really damaged the, the coast, the Atlantic coast. And so 11 months later, you now have Irma. And it was a pretty early on where we knew that Irma 
while we don't know where it's exactly going to go, this thing was going to be a monster. I mean, every model had yeah. it blowing up. There was going to be a nice strong ridge that was going to push, push it south, even though it went, <clears throat> excuse me, north of all the islands and it went north of Puerto Rico and, and all those areas that typically we're concerned about. And then it typically goes out to sea. Well, the ridge of high pressure just pushed this thing so far west it actually ended up making landfall in Cuba um, yeah. first. But I think with that particular event, people were so scarred, even by the, the near landfall of Matthew, mm -hmm. and especially these beachside communities, that we knew that even if Irma missed, if it did the same thing, it was just going to be, it would just build on to the issues that had already occurred with Matthew. Right. So learning about the area, um, you know, this was my first year that I'm down there. You know, I missed wow. Matthew. I'm now there for Irma. And another thing that, you know, being in Ohio, I didn't really know that Florida actually has a south to north moving river called the St. John's um, River. And I didn't know this that either. Thing not, this thing is not just a river. It's basically a bona fide, a slow moving lake by the time that it gets up to Jacksonville. So when you have a land falling hurricane in the southern peninsula of Florida, that's moving due north up the peninsula, we received 10 to 15 inches of rain following a very wet, record wet summer. And so we have all this fresh water in this river. And when the circulation came up into really west of Jacksonville, the wind shift caused all of that water that was stuck in that basically a, a, large, a large river or lake to go straight into downtown Jacksonville. And they oh, experienced no, their highest water um, basically the, the above normal high tides of over five feet. And that is like for a downtown area, mm, right. I guess, imagine, you know, six feet of, of extra water being in downtown Dayton, you know, right. and That's impacting like impacting sky rises and, you know, all these businesses that have never seen water before, even with like the, the heaviest of rainfall. So, I mean, like I said, I could go on for, for probably hours with just a, <laughs> But it was just an incredible phenomenon seeing the experience of that Jacksonville, Florida office team and everything that they knew and prepared for all, all was realized on that day, yeah. even though the landfall was all the way at, you know, um, for, or sorry, Naples, right? Naples, Florida, mm -hmm. way down in the south. So incredible yeah. experience there. Dorian, I'll keep nice and short and sweet, is like, you know, being again in that emergency operations center and working with people who are just walking up to you and know, saying, hey, we do we are we going to be closing bridges tonight you know are the winds going to get over 40 miles an hour and you're basically left there with going you know what's what's the decision going to be and yeah, that's a, right. a whole different realm of i mean we have just hard decisions to make in the office with warning decisions and and watch decisions but when you have a customer that's like right there and they're they're making big money decisions big personnel decisions um it's, it was an incredible experience i spent three days in the in, in that building um, and, and it was just a phenomenal experience. Transitioning, Talk transitioning to Memorial Day. Um, yeah. I was actually working a midnight shift on Memorial Day, so it was actually really convenient because here I am in Jacksonville. It was a quiet, uh, it was a quiet May day, and you know any thunderstorms that we typically have during the daytime they fall apart during the evening with the with you know with the, the sun setting. So it was a it was a very chill forecast night. It was just me and one other guy and. I'm watching everything unfolding in Dayton. I'm just like, my, my mouth is on the floor, just mm -hmm. seeing these storms and, right. and tornadoes move through a, a major metropolitan area. And it's like, 
I, I just growing up in Ohio my entire life, like that's the worst case scenario. It's yeah. late in the evening and, and you're just thinking the worst. But I, I messaged my family because I'm like, you know, typically storms fizzle out. Right. You know, in the evening time. But I'm like, typically we don't have major tornadoes moving through <laughs> metropolitan areas. So this right. is not a this normal isn't typical, <laughs> let alone so in I the told, evening. <laughs> I told my family, I said, I would say give it an hour and a half. You know, I wouldn't go to bed. I would keep an eye on these things. And it was actually the the, the tor- tornadic cell that caused the Trotwood, you know, all the, the major EF3, yeah. EF4 tornadoes straight through Dayton. It was actually that cell. It remained discreet through Beaver Creek, through Washington Courthouse, through, you know, south of Xenia. It just remained its own little thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just watching this thing and I'm telling them, I'm giving my family like hour countdown, half an hour countdown. And then right as the storm entered the side of the alley, it decided to get all tornado frenzy again. And, um, and so I'm watching this, I'm watching this tornado form just south of where I grew up in Circleville, Ohio. And I'm like, this thing's tracking through basically every place that I know, you know, Mm -hmm. and grew up in, I know. And, and fortunately it missed the town of Circleville. So it avoided the, the high population town there. And now it's just traveling through mostly rural areas. And it's like, it's going right toward my parents' house. So I give them a oh my 15 goodness. minute countdown. I give them, I see the debris signature. I see it cross like a landmark that I'm like, okay, if it made it this far, then they just have to seek shelter and, and just be done with it. And, and hopefully it misses. And nope, it decided to go right over their house. Um, it, it wasn't more than a hundred yards when it went through there and it just went right over the house, um, you know, hit a, hit an Amish house, hit a couple other houses I mean, it was minor damage. The The second floor was probably really close to collapsing because one of the walls had wow. actually been pulled, pulled out. So it was really close to being, you know, just that much worse. Fortunately, it was, you know, my dad, one of our dogs would, would not go into the, the cellar that we have. And so he remained like on the same floor and some windows shattered and there were some minor like scrapes and a little bit of blood, but oh. fully rebuilt, fully rebuilt the house and, and we've moved on and, and, uh, yeah, talk about an experience being 800 miles away. Mm-hmm. Not only the Dayton stuff, but now my own personally family being impacted. I mean, these these five years have been a, a whirlwind. And I know I that can't. like that feeling of um, as a meteorologist having all that knowledge. So there you are, just looking at these products, and you know, just based on your experience, what is happening, and being able to understand that more than the average person, and being so far away, I'm sure was extremely difficult. Um, and we're seeing more and more of these powerful hurricanes, uh, tornado outbreaks, meaning more tornadoes in one particular day than throughout the entire season and extreme temperatures and cold. And so I think this is kind of like a really good point to start pivoting, talking more about the daily climate. And Mm -hmm. for the everyday person, you hear us say the average high for today is this, can you explain where that number comes from? I, I will start off and be completely honest with, with everyone that listens to this. And the fact of the matter is the last time the climate normals were made were 10 years ago. I was 19 years old. I was in high school. You know, <laughs> I guess I was actually in, my, in lower, lower in college or I just started and, and I didn't really care about the new normals back then. Well, right. times changed. I'm now in an organization that, you know, fundamentally, you know, formulates them and, 
it starts it starts actually at the world level. The, the, the World Meteorological Organization or WMO is the one that kind of establishes how these things are created, why they're created, at what time intervals are they created. So when I knew that these new normals were coming and I'm sort of the, the climate focal point here, like the guy that, that takes care of all this stuff, um, it was sort of the responsibility was put on me to kind of come up with this. And like I said, being honest with you, I really didn't know a whole lot. So I had to do some digging, some investigating. I created my own just raw 30-year normals just as like a guestimization, you know, what's, what's this going to be like? Um, and I quickly realized that what the 30-year climate normals are not are just simply 30-year averages of data. Oh. If they were that simple, I, I honestly think if they were that simple, we wouldn't actually gain um, as much, much as we do with them being created that they are. So. Um, a lot of research, people who are much smarter with, you know, than me when it comes to climate um, values and, and the formulas that they use and the, uh, all the techniques, they, they work on establishing those. I'm just a customer like you guys. I, the mm -hmm. data comes in, um, you know, we see it, uh, you know, we see those normals and, you know, kind of like how I'm an operational meteorologist and instead of like figuring out the exact how or, or what, or, yeah, the exact how, I, I much more enjoy the why. Mm -hmm, and so right. when it comes to these 30-year normals, when it comes to the why, why aren't they just 30-year averages of raw data? I mean, that makes sense to me. I can compute it. I can do it. Cool. The, the, the key here is that 30-year normals, while we do use those as the benchmark, the, the techniques and methods that are used actually calibrate those 30 years, the, the values that actually come out, closer to where we are now i mean if you think about 30 years that's a long time you know right. and with rapidly changing climate that that could mean a, that could be a big difference so instead of maybe putting as much weight as what happened between 1990 and 2000 you know we can actually cater these these values closer to what we are experiencing right now because as you guys said we use these new normals to compare to every single variable uh, you know, different time scales, you know, oh, we, this week we were above normal for the, you know, so we, if you think about it, how much we compare to them, wouldn't you rather compare something that's calibrated to the most recent climate versus something that's just a, a raw 30 year average. So that's sort of what I would, you know, point to any listener who's maybe questioning why not just 30 year raw data uh, as an average. It, it's really meant to highlight the significance of right. weather events even though weather and climate are different, it's meant to highlight the significance of events that occur in the current present day. Right. Because you have so to think about, kind of, go ahead, Kirsty. I was going to say, so for just kind of understanding it, 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 since it's playing to what's happening a little more in the current time frame, uh, when you're breaking records and, and or going above normal, that means even more because we're going above normal in a warmer climate, if that makes sense, than what it was if we were just using the straight up raw data, right? Is that kind yeah. of a way of understanding it? Yeah, because I think if you think of the way, if you were to actually look at the data, um, you would see, you know, let's go back 30 years and say you're just taking the average high, you're going to see that it's a steady climb. It's more of a slope than it is high, low, high, low. And in that sense, taking the middle wouldn't be so bad because 
year to year is fluctuating, but the fact that it is continually increasing, if you were to take an average, it, it isn't a true average. It's kind of um, giving a, a mis misinformation that the average is in the middle when really we're much warmer now. Um, so I can see why they they use different equations to kind of push it a little bit, you know, closer to date, like today's date in that climate average. Yep. I think it's, it's also part of their methodology is not just to use the station that they're looking at. You know, it's, it's more than just, it's, it's, it's almost like a, an area type of a deal. Like you talk about Dayton, we're using the Dayton International yeah. Airport, which is actually on the northwest side of town, closer to rural areas. You know, while you don't necessarily want the influence of the metropolitan area on the data, right. I mean, it kind of should because that's where a lot of the people are. Yeah. You know, yeah. you want to know what the averages are doing in these sort of larger cities where most of the people, you know, most of the people are exist. concentrated. So, correct. So they use... They use more than just the, the data that's observed at the station. They look at surrounding stations and they compare the tracks. They look at, you know, any differences. Were there any sort of changes in the location of the station? Were there any changes to the instrumentation or the calibration? I mean, like I said, I, when I started diving in, I was very well informed that my simple understanding of averages of 30 years were, was much uh, was very naive. That's I didn't realize that there was that comparison as well of, of surrounding stations. And this kind of makes me think too, um, when we talk about computer models, how if we had more weather balloon launches, we'd have a better atmospheric, like look at what the atmosphere is. But we've got large, unfortunately, gaps across the United States where that data is not collected. So you think also of how important weather stations are, not just at our airports, but at the smaller airports. Um, because that all feeds into it and having those instruments work really is important. And the more there are in a, in a surrounding area, the, the better your climate snapshot is going to be kind of. It's definitely now, the hope. Yeah. So um, how important or why is it important that we keep these averages um, when it comes to telling the forecast? Is there yeah. a, a big reason why? And did you see a big change from the last 30 years to this 30 year? I, I do think that we, we brushed on it a little bit with regards to like the, the reason why they're, they're important. Instead of just looking at it as what was the average weather the last 30 years? It, it really isn't, it's an applicable, it's a, it's an applicable thing. We want to not just look at the, what were the last, I'm not doing a, a summer project, you know, we're not, you know, <laughs> doing this simple project of what, what was the last 30 years? Can I do a, a 30 year average of data? You yeah. know, this is a, a much more applied purpose to these normals. People use them for planning. You know, if, if, a, if a city is seeing a rapid increase in precipitation, maybe they've got to work on their infrastructure, you know, a business, if a business is, I don't know, a heating and cooling business, maybe, Right. They need to start increasing their planning for how are we going to improve our air conditioning units because of that extra demand. So there is an application to these with regards to business planning. And then again, I'll just reiterate, showing the significance of current weather compared to what these normals um, compared to what these normals show. And I, while it's not Dayton, I will provide a, an example to that. And that's Cincinnati. 
Uh, I'm sure you guys have noticed that Cincinnati's been, at least the airport, has been able to be hit by some of these more heavier rainfall events. Mm -hmm. And they're somewhere above four and a half inches for just this two summer months above wow. above the 30-year normals, above that average. So this is something that's already been tuned upward, if you want to right. say. It's, it, you know, our climate is warming, our climate is getting um, more, you know, because it's warming, it's able to hold more moisture. And it's like, here we are in a summer where, you know, the, 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 the values have already been kind of adjusted and increased to, you know, respect the reflect current that. climate. And now it's still above it. You know, we're still right. over four and a half inches above, um, you know, Cincinnati is for that summer period, July 1st to current, it's, it's second all time going back 140 years, 150 yeah. years. You know, I mean, it's a, uh, it's an incredible uh, data set that I think it's more than just, doing an analysis of the last 30 years. It is how can we take that data and apply it to what we can, what we can have right now for planning, um, you know, business and, and then also just current weather. What is, what is something that you've taken away specifically since you're the climate guy mm -hmm. uh, for the data set for, for Dayton? So looking at um, how did our temperatures trend? How has our rain yeah. fall trended, which obviously, I'm not going to be surprised. Well, we've already seen the numbers and shared them, but I'd like, you yeah. know, a little bit of insight from you. If maybe someone yeah. is just starting to listen, like what, what have those changes uh, occurred in this data set for 30 years? Yeah. I, I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Um, obviously anybody can, we have a, a resource uh, weather.gov slash ILN slash new normals that you can find Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, uh, wherever you're, um, you know, whichever one you're closest to you can find the specific numbers there. But Dayton in particular did see a much higher increase than probably most of us were expecting, you know, especially even compared to Columbus and, and Cincinnati. So perhaps this was something that was part of their, um, part of their techniques and methods that, that resulted in this adjustment. Um, and, and perhaps it's also reflective of, you know, some of the, the warming temperatures being more, you know, observed more readily uh, across, across the Dayton area versus uh, decades past. So it's it's an interesting uh, thing with regards to seeing the temperatures jump up that warm. It was something that caught my eye and I was like, right. that something can't be right. You know, why are the numbers that high or were, were adjusted that high? And, and that's when I started doing the investigation. So for me as the climate guy, I really had to, you know, even educate myself, even though I'm a meteorologist, climatology is a whole different yeah. <laughs> of science and methods and, and, and expertise. So I did have to do a little bit of investigation. So I encourage anybody that's listening that, you know, has seen the new normals come out and, and maybe they're confused as to, as to why, you know, they were adjusted. So, uh, so high. I mean, I think December's max temperature for Dayton, something like three and a half degrees, you know, higher, you know, the normal for the month. It's, it's incredible. The, the numbers that, that came out, but again, I'll remind people that it's not, just an average of the 30 years. It is a, right. mm -hmm. it's a calibrated and it's a well agreed upon by, like I said, the world, you know, this is the, the message that we're using all across not the world. Um, right. Not just Nate McGinnis. Right. Not just Nate McGinnis' world. Methods, right? My, my, my methods, my methods were right. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's what I found out really quickly. Um, I, I will say one more thing uh, with regards to this is while Dayton's work were seen to sh show a big shove in the warmer direction, um, 
one thing that the NCEI, the National Centers for Environmental Information, they're the ones that, that dealt with all these calculations and distributed all the information. They actually, because of some of these like questions, like why is this so much higher than the raw or, or you know, why is there so much you know, precipitation or maybe why didn't we see as many changes here? They actually showed their entire distribution of, of stations across the country that they ran this, um, their 2020 calculations on that 30 year period. It actually came out to about a net zero gain. They didn't, they mm. basically wanted to illustrate that not all stations were, were adjusted into the positive warmer direction. Gotcha. If you looked at all, all of the stations that they, that they did the calculations for, some of them actually saw an adjustment downward based mm. on all the things that we had talked about. So, you know, for Dayton, Dayton would just ended up being on the warmer side of that spectrum. But overall, across the entire country, some, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of stations all showed um, that, you know, compared to the 1981 to 2010 normals, it basically was a net zero gain with regards to that influence of the of the methodology. I can see how you can quickly just go down the rabbit hole because like you said, if you look at one pinpoint and you're like, oh, Dayton was warmer and you just apply that everywhere, that's not true. And then you look, oh, the United States actually didn't have a net gain or, an, or, or loss. Then you're like, wait, we got to think about the whole world. And that's really where you have to get the yeah. big picture. And climate is one of those things, just like the daily weather, there's more and more data that we're collecting every day. This study is constantly evolving and we're learning from it. Yeah. Um, and that's why we love it so much. Nate, thank you so much for, for hopping on here. I didn't know if you had any uh, final question, Kirsty, but we just have about five minutes left here. Or if Nate, there was anything less that, uh, more that you wanted to add. I, I will say, I'll, 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 I'll go first. How about that? And then if Christy has a question, um, you know, one thing that I wanted to follow up on with, with what you said, McCall, is that you have to zoom out. Oftentimes mm -hmm. we get so we get so tracked into what's happening in our backyard. That goes from current weather to climate weather. When it comes to our daily decisions that we make with regards to do we camp tonight, do we not camp tonight? Mm -hmm. A lot of our decisions are backyard based, but a lot of the information that you receive may be in a broader sense than that. So I, I always like to encourage people to zoom out, uh, look at the broader picture, and, and it goes with climate too. I mean, parts of the north central United States actually saw their temperatures cool. Yeah. All right. I mean, that's that's actually yeah. a factor of of more storm systems and more moisture. So it's not just it's not just about, um, you know, we, we care about what we live in and where we are. But it's not just about where, you know, it's just not it's not about ourselves. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's about the broader picture. And, and so I always encourage people, especially when it comes to climate, zoom out a little bit. I love that. And honestly, Nate, I think that's a great point to end on because uh, that big wide view is, is really going to help us all out. And it does help your backyard decision because <laughs> it goes big to small. Yeah. So I, I think that was wonderful, Nate, a really, really easy and good way to understand all of it. I learned something, McCall, I don't know about you. I did not know that there was that much methodology into uh, those 30 year uh, numbers. So thank you so much for diving in with us. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And if you ever want to get any information from the weather service, as Nate mentioned, you can head to weather.gov slash ILN. Um, Nate, I don't know if there's any direct email or um, a social media way that they can get a hold of you. Yeah, for, for me, um, I mean, I'll just stick to, to the business. So nate.mcginnis at noaa.gov uh, is, is where you can, you know, ask me any questions if you if you're listening to this and you have 
additional questions, I'll get to them as, as soon as I can. Thank you so much, Nate, for joining us. And as always, if you're listening to Cloudy with a Chance at Podcast, thank you for listening. Um, be sure to share with your friends, tell them to download, subscribe, even rate us or give a comment and let us know what kind of topics you want to hear more about. If you're watching the video version, you can uh, share this as well. We'll be posting it over on our YouTube account. As always, you can find Cloudy with a Chance at Podcast anywhere the podcast audio is available to you, whether it's an Apple or an Android device. You can watch the video version on uh, uh, Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and again on YouTube. As always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.